The Messages, a podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel, Maryland, teaching you to love God, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Here's Pastor Brent Brewer. Well, you already know what we're going to talk about, right? So you can open your Bibles. We're in a series on Proverbs, and uh, I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Uh, if you're new to our church, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about us. Uh, we, uh, we take everything from the Bible. Uh, we believe the Bible is God's spoken word to us, and so uh, all of the messages come right from Scripture. It's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter, and the more you get to know me, you'll find out my opinion doesn't matter, uh, but God's opinion does matter, and uh, we, want to, we want to hear from God, and right now we're in a book. If you're new to the Bible, it's the book of Proverbs. It's actually in the Old Testament, and it's, it's really a bunch of, of, of God-inspired, pithy statements that are more um, statements that aren't necessarily promises. That's why they're Proverbs. Uh, they're mostly true. Uh, so they're not like 100% true all the time. So that's a little introduction. Today we're going to talk a little bit about how we speak to each other. Uh, maybe you've heard the saying, you probably all have, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what's the rest of it? That's a lie. All right? That isn't true. Uh, you know, a lot of times physical wounds, uh, they can heal up quickly, but uh, many times words, words still haunt us. Uh, sometimes when we hear a certain word or we hear a certain phrase, maybe someone said something to you sometime and it was hurtful and uh, every time you hear that phrase, your stomach turns. Maybe there's words that you just regret saying. Maybe you regret saying words like, uh, I hate you or words like, you'll never amount to anything. So here's what I want to say to you today. Uh, words change lives. Words can change your life. Words can change somebody else's life. Words change history. Like here are some famous words uh, that change history. Here's one of the phrases, I have a dream. That changed history, right? Uh, how about this phrase, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Those are words that changed history. Words can shape the course of eternity, like these words found in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Words can change the course of our lives. You know, the book of Proverbs, it contains 915 verses. 222 of those verses have something to do with our aspect of speech. The average person speaks close to 700 times a day. Uh, for some of you, that's called noon, right? Um, this is a major theme in Proverbs. Uh, I've got one major verse for us today. We're going to turn to several others. Proverbs 18.21, you're going to see it on the screen here. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So uh, if you're sitting next to your spouse, if you're sitting next to a good friend, you're sitting next to a family member, I want you to take a moment and I want you to turn to them and this is what I want you to say to the person beside you. Death is in the power of your tongue. Will you say that? Go ahead. Now some of you have said it to that person three times already. You really wanna make a point to them, right? Uh, 
That's what we're talking about. Death is in the power of the tongue. Uh, I got a picture I want to show you. All right, everybody right now, stick out your tongue. All right, some of you want to do that, want to do that for a while in church. All right, just stick out your tongue. All right, um, I want you to just feel how small it is, but this is the most powerful thing in all the earth. Death and life, we just read, are in the power of it. James, who was the brother of Jesus, he incredulously observes, with the tongue we can bless God and curse men made in his image. I was checking my Twitter feed the other day, I think it was Thursday, and uh, I follow a guy, a fellow pastor on there. Uh, his name's J.D. Greer, he pastors a Summit Church. He's also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, he had a picture on there, and I'm like, well, this is interesting. And uh, it was a picture of a trophy. And I should have I put a picture up on the screen for you. But uh, he had a picture of this trophy, and it wasn't like one of these trophies. It was like a big trophy like this. And on the top of the trophy, it had a goat on it, you know, greatest of all time. And um, so it had this picture of a goat, it had this big trophy. This was not a joke. Somebody sent him this trophy in the mail, anonymously to him, and here's what the trophy said. Worst Christian of 2019, J.D. Greer, pastor of the Summit Church, and also pastor of the Southern Baptist Convention. Worst Christian they sent to him of 2019. So Greer put in this feed, he says, I didn't even know I was up for this award. But he said, I'm just so happy to have actually won it. So if any of you want to send me an anonymous trophy, it's going to have to be like second worst Christian, all right, of 2019, because first place is already taken. You know, I read that and I'm like, people are just mean. People are mean. I know I've been mean sometimes. But uh, that was just nasty. And sometimes we don't realize like how mean and nasty maybe we come across. Maybe your greatest memories are built around words said to us. Uh, maybe some of your most painful memories are, are also built on words. Uh, I was a 15-year-old kid, and uh, I desired to, uh, to be a preacher one day. And so uh, my church uh, let me preach to every uh, old folks home in Indiana County, Pennsylvania. So that's where I cut my teeth. And those people were, uh, they're kind of a willing audience, but they had to be there, right? So uh, I was there, I preached, and I started to cut my teeth a little bit on preaching. And so uh, after about a few months of that, six months, a year of that, uh, there was a guy, he's actually one of my parents, one of their good friends, uh, 45 year old guy, I'm 15, we were in church together every week, uh, he, he, he said, hey, come over here, because I want to talk to you for a minute. So, uh, so I go over there in front of him, and uh, he says, I just want to tell you something. He says, you will never amount to anything in your life. And he says, if you have any aspirations to be a pastor, it'll never happen. Wow. I just stood there stunned, like, what do you say? You're 15 years old, some guy in your church that's a leader comes and wags his finger in your face, says you're basically gonna be a loser your whole life. Now, I walked away from there and I said, uh, when I kept going through high school, I always reminded myself of that conversation. And I didn't say anything at the moment, but the thing that replayed in my mind over and over was, man, thanks for the motivation. I mean, I'm on it. I'm like, every time I think I can, I'm thinking of you, pal, and you're gonna press me on. 
And uh, so that, that, that turned into motivation for me. But we can say some really damaging things with our tongue. So here's what I want you to see today. Simply changing the way we speak can revolutionize our lives, our relationships, and even our church. Words literally have the power of life and death. A lack of self-control when it comes to our tongues can destroy our marriage. Uh, it can destroy our family. It can destroy our friendships. Like you blow up on your kids, you interrupt your wife, you nitpick your husband, you bring up past mistakes, you flirt with a coworker, you betray a confidence, and the results are ruinous. Now, just let me just say this. This also applies like to emails and uh, Facebook posts and text messaging. It's all words. Uh, written or verbal. So we have to be so, so careful in everything that we say and everything that we write and how we speak to one another. And so, uh, you know, in the Bible, God's creation of life happens through words. I want you to think about this for a moment. In Genesis, God speaks words. And there was light, and there were planets, and there were fish. You know, most of Jesus' miracles happened through words. Jesus spoke, and lame men walked. Jesus spoke and lepers were healed. He spoke and storms stopped. I mean, how cool would that be? You remember we had a lot of wind this week, one day, do you remember all the wind? And uh, the wind just like beats on the back of my house and it makes the windows howl and all this stuff. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could just say, wind, stop. And then it automatically stopped. Wouldn't that be cool? Or like when my neighbor's car alarm goes off at like 3 a.m., if I just sit up in bed and I'm like, car alarm, stop. And it automatically, so, that'd be so, I'd be dangerous with this, wouldn't I? But I, I, you know, I started thinking about this, this would be like so fun. This would be so exciting. Well, that's, that's a little bit about Jesus. He spoke and dead men came out of the grave. Except for the occasional spittle and mud miracle, almost all Jesus' miracles were spoken words. Our salvation comes through believing words. You know, if you go all the way back to, uh, to Abraham, Abraham believed the word of God, and you know what happened to him? Uh, he had strength, God gave him strength in his sterile 99-year-old body to impregnate his wife. You get that? It was by believing God's words that he would have a son. And Abraham, at 99 years old, received the power to impregnate his 90-year-old wife. Abraham believed the word of God. So Abraham said to Sarah, he's like, listen, Sarah, put your dentures in. Let's put on some John Legend. We're gonna start a family. You know, it's, it's by believing the words of, of the gospel that we ourselves are saved. You know, the gospel comes to us as an announcement in words about Jesus. It announces like he's Lord, he accomplishes on our behalf all that he is required to save us, and when we believe the words, we can be born again in forgiveness of sin. We can have new life in salvation. The point is this, God's words are his power. They give life. And you know, in the same way, because we're created in the image of God, Solomon says, our words, our words have the power of life too. The ability to speak is one of the key things that, that separate us from animals. You know, there are some animals that see better than us. There are some animals that um, smell better or hear better, but none can speak. 
Now, the way we can. Now, as soon as I say that, I know some of you are going to challenge me, and you're going to say, now, what about the dolphins? Uh, screeching where there's like this rotting eel carcass and all the other dolphins come and feed on it. Uh, yeah, that's different, though, than theorizing about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, there's no declaration of independence among dolphins. Speaking, though, is one of the unique features of being created in God's image. So what I want to show you today is three ways that you and I can have life-giving words, three characteristics of life-giving words. So let me just cut to the chase. I want you today to learn to speak like Jesus. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is in John 7, 46. No man ever spoke like this. There was something about Jesus' words that made him different. And uh, I know what it was. John 1.17 tells us, it says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ spoke the truth, but he did it with grace. That's why I want you to speak like Jesus. So three characteristics today of life-giving words. Here's the first one, true words. True words. Life-giving words begin with the truth. Proverbs 27.5 says this, better is open rebuke or reprimand than concealed or hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If we are someone's friend, here's what the Bible says, we will be willing to speak truth to them even when it wounds them. Like this is no fun, is it? Very few people enjoy speaking truth into the lives of other people like none of us do. But this verse tells us, if you're a friend, you'll do it. Why? Because you might see something in their life that's destroying them. Maybe they have a habit that, that's, that's tearing them down, and you know that, but you don't want to experience the pain of confronting your friend. And rather, we say things like this, I don't want to confront you. Uh, what I'd rather do is, is keep the peace. I want to keep the peace. But when we keep the peace and don't tell them what they're doing is wrong, we're really not their friend. We're more like their enemy. We're kissing them when the more loving thing to do would be to wound them, but our kiss in this situation is more like Judas's kiss. It's not the work of a friend, it's the work of an enemy. Sometimes I hear people say something like this, I just care about them too much to hurt them like that. Do you know what they're really saying is, I care about myself too much to have to go through the pain of telling them that. Like, I think about this like as your pastor. Like, I really do desire, I want you to like me. Like, it's nice like when I'm preaching, if you like smile at me a little bit, right? It's okay to smile, it's okay to laugh. Uh, some of you I know fall asleep, I get it, you work late night shifts. Now if all of you fall asleep, I got big problem, right? big problem. But it's nice for us to have this very congenial relationship. You smile at me, I smile at you, I talk, you listen, then you come out in the lobby and you talk to me and I listen. But you know, there, there are sometimes like, I need to tell you difficult things. And, and being a people pleaser like I am sometimes, I don't want to tell you difficult things. And so when I come against a passage of scripture and it's like really difficult, I think, God, do I... Do I have to tell them that? 
Like, can't I just bring in a guest speaker and tell the speaker, like, you tell them that? Like, like I'll just tell Evan the next time he preaches, Evan, you say that and let them get mad at you. And uh, I do have a couple things for you, by the way, next time. Um, but if I love you as your pastor, I'll say things that might be a little challenging. You ever notice like on these TV shows like American Idol or America's Got Talent, people come on that show like thinking they're gonna be like the next superstar, but they can't carry a tune in a bucket. And the only reason they're convinced that they can sing is because the people in their lives have lied to them their whole life. Like they've tried to like, like pacify them. And their, uh, their friends and family members never told them they need to go do something else. And they're like living their whole life with this platitude, you can be anything you want to be. Because no one has told them the hard truth. You can't sing. You can't act. Go do something else. Get on with your life's work. But you know, what we observe on these shows, we see in culture at large, we live in a society that values personal freedom over the truth, a culture that values tolerance, which means you can't tell someone they are wrong. And guess what happens? That same culture seeps over into the church. Like I've heard plenty of great Christian people, you know, they're walking around, they're quoting scripture, and this is like one of the favorite ones everyone wants to quote. Uh, and I've heard it said among good Christian people, they say something like this, don't judge, don't judge. Uh, which is often, by the way, out of context, because 1 Corinthians actually tells us we are to judge Christians corporately in the church. That's what it says. You know, we, we rarely speak up when we see a brother or sister move into a foolish sin. We isolate ourselves from others. We don't invite others into our lives, despite the Bible encouraging us that we need each other. And we do understand, right, as you read the New Testament, there are, are 31 another commands in the Bible. That means we can't live the Christian life in isolation. We need people to come alongside of us and to lovingly tell us the truth. And so like, you know, if I, you know, I don't usually eat before the service is just a little, little bowl of cereal. But uh, if I come in here and I got something on my face and you see me up here talking, uh, you know, you're free to sit back there and say, Ahem. Uh, and if like 10 of you do it, I'll be like, okay, there's something wrong there, right? That's okay. It's okay to help, help a brother or sister out. It's okay to speak truth into their life. But one of, you know, the cruelest things that we do with our words is we don't tell people about Jesus. You got a neighbor, you got a friend, they're not a Christian, you've never told them about Jesus. And you're like, hey man, listen, I don't wanna bring it up. That's gonna be like really awkward. I wanna say to you as a loving pastor, how unloving could you be? Like if you went to someone's house and saw in their kid's bedroom a black widow and they had built a web, would you not just tell them? Would you be afraid? Like, you know, I don't want to embarrass them. They might think their house is dirty. Listen, they got a spider in their house. It might go and bite their kid. See, if we know that people's only hope of spending eternity with God is Jesus, how can we not tell them about him? See, so here's principle one. To speak like God, we gotta speak truth, even when it's painful. Now on the other hand, there are some of you, and, I, and you are here too, you have no problem with this. 
Uh, you speak tons of truth. You just love to speak truth into people's lives. You love to tell people exactly what's wrong with them. So really, this second characteristic is really for you. So first characteristic, true words. Here's number two, graceful words. Graceful words. Where's this in the Bible? Proverbs uh, 15, four says, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirits. Notice, gentle tongue, tree of life, that ought to make you think right back to paradise. Our words are to take people back to paradise. In other words, their aim should be healing. The opposite of that is you speak in a way that breaks the spirit. Often you can say things to someone that are true, but the effects of it aren't healing but breaking. The Bible calls that cursing our brothers. Now, I'm gonna give you all a lesson here. Not that you need it, but I'm gonna give you a lesson here. Curse means you condemn them or you cut them down. There is a difference in cursing and cussing. You do understand that, right? You know, growing up as a kid, you know, there are certain like words we weren't allowed to say, and they all had four letters in them, right? Um, and some of you are like, uh, don't say those four-letter words, and I'm not gonna list them all for you, but some of you never even heard the four-letter word love in your home, which was really sad. But there are all these four-letter words like you weren't allowed to say, but you know, a lot of Christians will say, listen, you shouldn't cuss. But some of these Christians will curse somebody in a moment using all kinds of acceptable words. Like you know down south, I'm not from down there, but some of you grew up there in the south, you can say about anything you want about anybody as long as you end it with these words, Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Do you know what that really means? It really means, what a stupid freaking idiot. That's what that means. I want to say this. Cursing is a whole lot worse than cussing. Let me give you a couple ways we speak truth in lives without healing. First of all, we might gossip. Almost without exception, when we talk negatively about somebody to someone else, we're not trying to, to restore, even if you preface it with prayer requests. You know, sometimes Christians will say, I have a prayer request, and then immediately what will happen after that is that they will gossip about somebody. Um, like the person who said, I never repeat anything, unless it's good, all right? Maybe that's some of you. Here's what Proverbs 20, verse 19 says. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Now, this is really a good one here. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Wow. Now, you say, um, aren't there times when you really do have to explain something negative about someone to someone else? Sure, there are, but if so, you better make sure, first of all, the motive of your heart is love, and second of all, there's a clear benefit for telling them. For example, if you're getting ready to hire someone at your house to do some work, and I know the person you're about to hire is a thief, it's okay for me to tell you, hey, you're about to hire a thief. But, but here's a little acid test. If you enjoy telling this thing, it's not love. If you enjoy telling it, it's not love. Now, I could tell you like some negative things about my kids, um, and I wouldn't enjoy telling you those things. 
because I wouldn't find any joy. I don't glory in their shame. You can pretty much guarantee when you're gossiping, you're not speaking with grace. So he says this, avoid gossip, hearing it, giving it, and don't speak it. If you must speak negatively about someone, don't speak about them, speak to them. A little practice I picked up, you know, someone will come along and they'll tell me about someone and they immediately throw them under the bus and I, if I'm smart, if I'm sharp, I, I've had enough sleep, I'll usually say something like this to them. Um, have you talked to them about this? They're like, well, I, actually I haven't. Well then you need to text them, you need to pick up the phone, you need to send them an email. And the second part of this verse I think is really good. Someone, avoid someone with a big mouth. I wanna give you some advice. Whenever somebody tells you, so-and-so told me not to tell you this. You ever heard that? You can pretty much guarantee they're talking about you and repeating what you told them not to say to others. See, our words are not healing when we gossip. Second, they're not healing when we don't have relational capital. We don't have relational capital. In other words, we're making withdrawals, but we aren't making deposits in their life. Here's Proverbs 12, 18. It says, there's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, some people, when they have something negative to say, there are, are, they, they, that's all they ever talk about. Believe it or not, you'd probably believe it, there are sometimes I get critiqued. Now, I critique things too. We all do, all right? We all have logic and reason, but sometimes people will critique me and uh, they'll write me like a small epistle and uh, I'm there reading the epistle and um, this is the first time I've ever heard from them. They get upset at something I've done or something that I've said, and they've been here for a number of years, and my thought is, of all the things that I've said since I've been here over the last four years, you never saw anything in all the words that I said to say one thing positive to me. This is the first time you've ever spoken to me, and it's negative. You know what that feels like? Feels like a sword thrust. Here's what I wanna say about that. Sometimes we assume the strengths and notice the weaknesses. We assume the strengths and notice the weaknesses. I think we ought to reverse that. I think we ought to assume the weaknesses and notice the strengths. You know, some of you are dads. You only speak negatively to your sons, and in athletics, they're resenting you. Listen, if I ever had to correct one of my kids, and one of the things that I made sure that I always did was I made plenty of positive deposits in their life, so when I had to say something even remotely negative, it wouldn't crush their spirit. That is so important. Some of you wives, the only thing you ever really say to your husband is negative. Like you note the one, the one thing on his day off he didn't do that you ask him to do rather than the three things he did do. No, no husband said amen there, okay? That's good, good job guys. <laughs> um, you know, healing words flow out of a positive, affirming, believing relationship. So, so build the relationship. 
So when you have to speak a word of rebuke, the person you're giving it to can receive it from someone who loves them, who embraces them, who approves of them, who accepts them. You know, sometimes, I know, believe it or not, I'll say something in the first sermon that was, might be just a little bit off, and uh, there's some guys that I trust that have poured into my life here, and they'll come and they'll put their arm around me, and I'm, as soon as they do that, I'm like, what dumb thing did I say? And they'll say, you might, you might. They never say you should. They never say you ought to. They're like, uh, you might want to consider and you know much more about the Bible than I do. You see how they're deflecting? And so I don't, I don't take it as like they're coming on me with all the force. They're deflecting, like they use what I call a lot of wiggle words. Do you know what wiggle words are? I might, possibly, perhaps, I could be wrong. You know more about this than I, and you know, when, when you come across that kind of way, man, you just, the way I am, I just wanna receive that because someone's coming from a point of humility instead of coming like, no, you did this and you did that and you shouldn't do this. Oh man, get me out of that relationship, quick. Um, so whenever you have something to say, even negative, here's a question to ask. Whose benefit am I speaking for? What am I trying to do? Is it about making me feel good or is it about putting them in their place? Here's an acid test. When you are speaking wounded words for the right reason, it never feels good. It never feels good. You say, well, I'm probably a little bit of both. Part of me wants to help them out, but part of me wants to pay them back. Then pray and keep your mouth shut until the retribution impulse is gone. So truthful words, graceful words. Here's the last one, encouraging words. Encouraging words. Proverbs 4.22, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. In other words, when someone comes up and speaks a word of encouragement to you, man, it just makes the, the health of your body, it just makes you feel good. I did something for somebody this week and I didn't have to and I helped them out. They were in some serious pain and uh, I helped them out and this person said to me, hey Brent, you're the best. I was like, well, thank you very much. No, um, thanks for noticing. No, I did it because I wanted to serve them. I wanted to help, but it was an encouragement for them to open their mouth and to say that. You know, I think back to the Old Testament about the 12 spies, you know that story? And they were sent out to view the land and 10 of them brought an evil report back and two of them brought a, a good report back. And, and the 10, here's what I want you to say. Here, they brought back this report and here's what they, the report that they brought back. They're like, you know that land that we went to look at? Uh, it's full of milk and honey. Is that true? Was it? Yeah. You know, that land was full of, man, the produce was unbelievable. Was that true? Yeah. You know, the people in that land were strong. Man, they're strong. Were they strong? Yeah. The people in that land had, uh, had walls. Man, there were walls there. Was that true? Yeah, it's all true. But here's what God said about their report. God called their report evil, even though everything was true. Because the spies did not report from the perspective of what God wanted to do in the situation. You know, sometimes we can speak words that are true, but are still considered evil because they're not done from the perspective of what God can and wants to do in someone. Thus, when we speak, our words have to give life. They have to encourage people to believe what God wants to do in the situation. 
Here's Proverbs 10, 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You know, one of my favorite theologians, I've been reading him a lot the last two weeks, is Martin Luther. You know who Martin Luther was? Uh, I got a picture of Luther. There he is. Luther said this, the most amazing thing about God was the way he redefined reality with words. God looked into chaos. He spoke the hopeful words of creation. He looked into the chaos of our sin. He declared us righteous in Christ. By speaking those words, coupled with our belief in them, he reconstituted our reality. See, God's words speak life to us. See, God sees into the darkness and despair of a situation. He speaks words of hope and life and renewal. And for me to speak like God means I help people to see what God sees in them. This is called the gift of encouragement. And I believe this is one of the most neglected spiritual gifts in the church today is where you literally speak courage into someone's life by helping them see what God wants them to do and believe it. You know, some people might come along and say this, like the guy said to me, you know, you're a failure, you're worthless, you're guilty. You know what I want to say to them? Romans chapter 8, no, you're chosen. You have a purpose. God wants to make you more than a conqueror. Other people say, oh, she's lived a loose life. She's damaged goods. I want to say, 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creation washed in Jesus' blood and filled with his power. Other people say this, you're just ordinary. Nothing spectacular about you. I want to say Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's workmanship created specially in Christ Jesus for the good works he wants to do in his kingdom. See, again, the gift of encouragement is one of the most overlooked and most valuable spiritual gifts. Why? Because we assume others' strengths and notice their weaknesses. See, one of the things that we need to do as the body of Christ that we are commanded to do is we need to see how God is working in someone's life, to see the evidence of God's grace in their life and bring it out in them, kind of fan the flame. So when you see God working in someone's life, no matter how faintly, commend it. See through the lens and encourage them. And a lot of times people will say this, well, I, I wanna be careful about speaking too positively, positively to someone and commending them too much. Because I don't, I don't wanna give them a big head. I wanna guard their pride. Well, the pastoral word I wanna say to you is bull. Bull. You know, we need to be aware of the human condition that most people live with an inward sense of despair and no awareness of how God is working in their life. Tell them. I think about the men that had the greatest impact on me. It's not just the ones that gave me constructive criticism. It was the men who saw something in me that I didn't see yet, and they called it out in me and encouraged me. I think of a guy named Phil. Phil encouraged me when I was a 15, 16. I met him when I was 17 years old. He actually was the principal of my school. And Phil invested in me and he encouraged me and he says, listen, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna help you with your preaching and I'm gonna take you to churches on Sunday night and you are going to preach in these churches. I'm gonna line this up for you and I'm gonna take you to a seminar and I'm gonna drive you to South Carolina and you're gonna participate in this preaching competition where you can sit under seminary professors even at age 17 and they're gonna help and mold and shape you. That was such an encouragement to me. I think of men like my dad. 
who spoke strength and hope in me. Maybe when I was needing it the most. Again, the gift of encouragement is one of the most overlooked, most undervalued spiritual gifts. We all wanna receive encouragement. I wonder who we're offering it to. So I got a little project for us, you ready? It's seven day challenge, here's my seven day challenge. What if you reverse the way we speak to each other for seven days, instead of noticing people's weaknesses, you notice their strengths? And verbally, for seven days, every positive thing you think about someone, you tell them. You like jot them a note, you send them a text, you send them an email, and you just encourage them. Now, can I just give you like, like one word of caution, guys? Like, don't be sketchy with this. Girl, you be looking hot. I just being honest. Man, that's sketchy, all right? Um, you know, our words come out of our heart. Proverbs 16.23 says, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth that adds learning to his speech. What comes out of your mouth is an indication of what's in your heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If that's true, then most of us are in trouble. When our words are wrong, it's because our hearts are wrong. Listen, we just can't, we just can't put polluted water and lemonade together and everything turn out okay. We don't need mouth surgery. What we need is heart surgery. And that's what Jesus has come to do. Jesus can take out and he can give each one of us a new heart. So don't walk out of here and say, I need to clean up my mouth. You missed the point of the sermon. It's not your mouth, it's the issue. It's your hearts. See, the good news is that we speak wickedly because our hearts are wicked, but Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He offers forgiveness and new life to those who put their faith in him. See, we need his word in our life. So Proverbs 4.22, last verse I wanna share says this. The words of God, they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. What's this mean? That you and I need to believe the word. If you're a believer, you need to grow in the word. And I think this is the most important thing you can get out of a church, to be in a place where you hear the gospel every week, to hear God's love for you over and over and over again. And let me just say this, forget music styles, forget which church gives you more goosebumps during worship. Get the word into your heart. Because once the word gets in your heart, it will change everything about you and it'll change the way we speak and it'll change the words that come out of our mouth. We'll speak more with kindness and gentleness and grace, not because someone's saying you need to speak well, because you went through a heart change. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you say, well, what do I do with this? You need a heart change. You need Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart and not whatever else is there. That'll change everything about you. You don't need some moralism. You don't need a checklist of do's and don'ts. You need a new heart. And Jesus can give you a new heart. Thanks for listening to the Messages Podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel. Want to get a hold of us or know more about us? Go to our website, fbclaurel.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use FBC Laurel. 
If you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, join us at one of our services on Sunday at 8 a.m., 1045 a.m. in English or Spanish. We look forward to connecting with you. The Messages.